All right, hello everyone. This is Dr. Joel Rosen, the uh, Adrenal Fatigue Recovery Ninja. And I'm really excited to introduce my next guest here, uh, Mike Mutzel. He's definitely a, a mentor of mine, whether he knows it or not. Uh, I've been following him for quite some time. Uh, Mike is regularly conducts workshops for healthcare practitioners. Uh, he has his own uh, um, program on, on YouTube. He's well-researched. He has a BS in biology and is continuing his um, education. And, and really, he, he practices what he preaches. Uh, he lives in Kirkland, Washington with his wife, Deanna, uh, who's also a, a doctor of chiropractic um, with their two dogs, um, Shasta and Rainier. And they enjoy cooking locally, uh, whole foods, and adhere to an active outdoor life of skiing, hiking, and biking. And uh, I'm just really excited to have you on board, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks so much for bringing me on. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So, so really, I, I could, you know, this shouldn't take too long, just maybe two or three hours. I have lots of information I want to ask you. No, um, take about, you know, um, there's a lot of questions I want to ask you. And as you know, the, the people that I work with are exhausted and burnt out and identify themselves as um, having an adrenal problem. And, and I explained to them that it really goes much deeper than the adrenals. It, it impacts you at the cellular level of being able to make energy. And that's where the mitochondria are involved. Um, but there's this whole new world of chronobiology. And I really would love to get your insights on that and circadian rhythms. But um, why don't you just introduce my audience just a little bit about you know, what you're telling me about what you're doing this year and, and where, you know, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to, Joel. Uh, so yeah, long story short, I've been interested in health my entire life. I was a big fan of like Arnold Schwarzenegger and like bodybuilders back in the day, aspired to be a bodybuilder, uh, ended up getting involved in steroids and stuff like that in college, which caused me to have all these hormonal fluctuations. So I can definitely identify with anyone that has adrenal fatigue, Hashimoto's, thyroid issues, things like that. Because, you know, when you, whether you take birth control, which is a steroid, right? It's an estrogenic steroid. It's not anabolic. Or you take another steroid-like hormone like DHEA. Like when you introduce these things exogenously from the outside, you screw up your whole HPA axis, which I know you've talked a lot about. So I've been there. I know what it's like to feel tired, fatigued, you know, unable to burn body fat, all that sort of stuff, depressed, lethargic. And so my last, so I, I kind of screwed around my first two years of college, you know, did two cycles of anabolic steroids, uh, found it really hard to like get back to my normal body composition, uh, was feeling lethargic, depressed and so forth. Went to the school doctor and I didn't tell them what I had done, but I was just like, you know, something's wrong with me. I think I'm depressed. And they just said, you know what, Mike, you just need to be on an antidepressant. A lot of kids in their senior year, I was a pre-med student studying biology. They said, you know, this is very common. This happens all the time. You're just overwhelmed. Just take the SSRI. I'm like, this is not, I'm, I, I've never been depressed up to now. I know it's from my hormones and whatever. Um, and then, so I ended up seeing an endocrinologist. They said the same thing. We're just going to put you on testosterone. We'll just leave you on testosterone for life. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be on I used to have great testosterone before I did this stuff. And so I had to go figure it out for myself, you know, into PubMed, just like I still do almost 20 years later. Um, and so I found this whole field of functional medicine, integrative, what we call alternative. It's not really alternative. It's just not really reimbursable for by some insurance companies because they don't really know how it works right so anyway long story short that's what got me into it like many of probably yourself dr joel and other people we 
you know, conventional medicine fails many people, uh, many, many folks listening right now. And so that was my circuitous way of getting into this. So I became a sales rep for a supplement company in 2006, started going to all these conferences, eventually in 2014, wrote a book. And now I interviewed a lot of experts that uh, influence me in different ways. And I want to help them get their message out there. So that's a long and short of it. But right now, really interested in, in leptin, fat cell biology. I think a lot of people have endocrine issues, thyroid, adrenal, energy issues because of this hormone release from our fat tissue called leptin. And leptin, it's not just involved in appetite control and satiety like a lot of people think it is. They hear about leptin resistance. It's what we call a pleiotropic adipocytokine. And what that really means, it's a complex word of saying that it's, it's a molecule released from fat cells. That's the adipocytokine. But it does a lot of different things within the immune system. And so many people have uh, mismanaged stress issues, chronic underlying uh, mitochondrial dysfunction, chronic inflammation, because leptin actually takes the protective kind of policeman of our immune system called the Treg cells and, and dampens it. So then we have all these renegade pro-inflammatory immune cells running around. We get Hashimoto's, we get MS, we get brain fog, we get mitochondrial dysfunction, free radical stress. So working on a new book that breaks that down for people so that they can understand how to kind of reset their bodies you know, really their metabolic set point so that they don't have to constantly try all these new diets, as you know. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Thanks for sharing. I have a similar story like that myself, and it always makes it more uh, personal when you've suffered and you can identify and empathize and understand who your audience is so that you can speak their language and really understand their hot points or their, their, their hot buttons. Um, so that book, which we were talking about, I thought was a fantastic book, The Belly Fat Effect. Um, so that you're expanding that now. Can you give me a little bit of insight you, you, on where, where you're going with it? Yeah, that's a great question, Joel. So, you know, back then, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. And so how I kind of came about that book, Belly Fat Effect, was a medical assistant in the medical clinic. I was working with, with Dr. Gerard Guillory. He's an internal medicine doctor in Denver. One of the MAs uh, was morbidly obese and she got bariatric surgery and lost a ton of weight. Like, like within weeks, every week I would see her. She was leaner and leaner, and, but she didn't change her diet. And I started, this was back in 2008, 2009, right? So I was like, that's crazy. How can this procedure cause such rapid weight loss when people are eating the same crappy foods? So I went to the, you know, I was living in Denver, Colorado at the time. I went to the medical school library and I wanted to unearth the mechanism of action through which bariatric surgery works. And it was all, you know, common wisdom thinks, oh, well, if you get bariatric surgery, whether it's row and Y or, you know, lap band, there's a lot of different types of procedures out there. It's very simple. It's calories in, calories out. They just staple your stomach. You can't eat as much. You get fuller faster. Therefore, you lose weight. That's actually only a small percentage of the story. How bariatric surgery really causes rapid and sustained weight loss is because it changes these hormones made by our own GI tract. So when we think about hormones, people think about the hypothalamus, the pituitary, the adrenals, the gonads, but in the pancreas, which releases insulin, of course, that affects glucose, but guess what? Our own gastrointestinal tract has a whole you know, bucket, a repertoire of hormones. They're called incretin hormones. And these gut hormones or incretin hormones actually operate upstream of insulin. So if you think about it, your blood glucose goes up. People think, oh yeah, everyone knows now it's a kitchen table topic. Glucose goes up, insulin goes up. We're like, well, what really tells insulin to rise to then effectively lower blood sugar. It's actually the gut hormones that they get amplified when we just smell food. 
when we're literally chopping up onions or cooking bacon or eggs or whatever, the, our incretin hormones should be increasing, which would then ricochet and tell our pancreas and tell our brain and tell every part of the body that, hey, food's coming in. We got to like prepare for this stuff, right? But in so many people now that are overweight, they've been mindlessly eating, watching Netflix, eating popcorn, you know, eating while they're driving, they're stressed out. So their brain doesn't even know they're eating. They're just eating, right? So their gut's like, whoa, I didn't even know this stuff was coming in. So they get metabolic dysregulation, insulin resistance, because they're not sending the proper messages to their gut. Now, this might sound like, oh, Mike Mutzel, you're making this crap up. I, how come my doctor hasn't told me about this? This has been published since 1984 in the medical research that gut hormone decreases precede, that means happen before individuals get type 2 diabetes. But you're like, well, why didn't my doctor tell me that in 2018? Because like, doctors are so busy, as you know, Dr. Joel, charting, insurance, billing, running the practice, medical malpractice, they can't stay on top of all of this. And so when I started diving into this research, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, doctors need to know this. So I kind of wrote the book for doctors, like it was really complex. There was a lot of, you know, scientific citations. And so this book is going to really distill that science down so that, Sally Smith, uh, riding on the subway, uh, that, that is an accountant or an engineer or whatever, has no medical background, can really kind of take home the key takeaways about how they can change their life to cause sustainable fat loss. So that's kind of the long and short of it. No, oh, that's awesome. I'm excited to get that. Hopefully I get a signed copy. No For hint. Sure. No hint. <laughs> so, so as far as what I, if we can kind of uh, transition into how that over, because uh, one of the things I got from you, Mike, and I can't remember which, which podcast you have, but you were talking about how you, you had these chickens. And then when the winter months come, they go and they retire a little bit earlier. And then it's sort of the light bulb went on for you um, that there is this, this earth and, the, and, the, and the, the, the moon and the sun and the day and the light and this rhythm that, that, that is underlining all our cells. How does that relate specifically to some of those, um, those gut hormones and then also your HPA axis, if we can transition to that? Yeah, that's a beautiful point. And one that a lot of people kind of inherently know about, but they forget about it because they hear they need to have so many grams of protein per day, or they need to have this many grams of fat if they want to be in ketosis, right? So they forget about this circadian element or the element of time that is really interwined within the fabricating process process all of the hormone processes, blood sugar regulation, and so forth. And so it just has to do with this idea that, you know, we've gotten away from living in coherence with the natural seasons that occur, the rise and fall of the sun. If you were to go camping, you naturally would go to bed when the sun goes down and you'd wake up when the sun rises. But now we live in indoor environments. We have electricity. We have the internet. There's really no need to go to bed when the sun goes down. We can go to bed whenever we want. And for some people, they can wake up whenever they want. Uh, some people don't even need to see the sun. They just go from their house to the train or their house to the car or whatever into the office and they never see sun at all. And it turns out that, you know, when you deprive animals, uh, this has been known. The circadian biology research actually, I was unearthing some of that, like when did this come into, when did we start to recognize this from a medical standpoint? It was in the 1970s, researchers were actually finding that if um, 
these were in the agriculture space because there's a lot of money in like pig farming and chicken farming and beef farming. Like they want to get the most out of these animals and reduce their overhead costs. Like it's just a profit loss type thing. So I came across some research um, in pig farming and they found that if they fed pigs during certain times, they put on weight, but then didn't get unhealthy. And so they figured out that guess what? It's not just light that's affecting our whole biology. It's actually the, the timing of food as well. So when you eat, when you fast, when you go to bed, when you get exposed to light, all affects literally every single cell in your body. So there's not a cell and cell type that does not have genes that are regulated and oscillate, meaning they move on a circadian time basis. So if we think about our mitochondrial function, when we burn fat, actually, it's pretty interesting. We tend to burn a lot of fat when we're sleeping. Like our mitochondria and all the fatty acid oxidation machinery are actually upregulated when we sleep. And you might be like, okay, well, that makes sense because we know from epidemiological studies, people that don't get good sleep tend to be more overweight than people that do, right? So there's some interesting data there, even in shift workers, right? People that work at night and have weird sleep hours and everything like that, they have higher prevalences of cancer, of autoimmunity, of even all-cause mortality, heart disease, because they're perturbing or causing imbalances in their circadian rhythm. So there's little molecular clocks that inside your muscle tissue, your mitochondria, your pancreas, where you release insulin and so forth, uh, in your heart, all throughout the body. And so it's really important, and I think this is particularly important for people with adrenal fatigue or any hormone issues to make sure that they're going to bed at the same time every night, waking at the same time every morning. And during the day, like right now, as we record this, it's about 11 a.m. So after this, I'm going to go outside, take another walk. I walk my daughter to school. It's good for her. It's good for me as well to expose our retina, even on a cloudy day, to that high intensity light, because that's going to entrain or kind of coach our body's circadian clock, because it's so easy to screw it up. All you have to do is just go to bed later, like go out and party, go to the bars with your friends on the weekends, right? Or watch Netflix uh, two or three episodes on a Friday night and go to bed at one in the morning, right? That is going to throw a monkey wrench in your biology. And the reason why you feel tired, the reason why your fasting glucoses will be nudged up, the reason why your testosterone will be lower, your thyroid hormone will be off, you crave more food is because your circadian rhythm is screwed up. So it, this is, this is huge. And um, so it, there's not really an intersection of health where circadian rhythm is not kind of interwoven into, into that. So it's super important to think about. And so I just encourage everyone, like, like it, who care? All right, even if you're high carb, low carb, vegan, carnivore, it doesn't matter what diet, just make sure you're consistent with your meals and that you're getting to bed and rising at the same time every day. Yeah, awesome points. You know, I, I find just to echo what you were saying, I find that the sexy stuff is the, you know, the new, which we all do, or we look at are the nutrigenomics or the gene SNPs or the latest DNA testing that can tell you about certain pathogens. And, and we really want to know about those things because for the most people, for the people that I've worked with, they've done so many things, like what else have they not done? And, and it will come back to the basics, right? Really coming back to the basics and being a creature of the earth, um, the sun and the moon and, and getting the, you know, getting to sleep on time and, and recovering and regenerating and, and really be ready. And, and so that kind of gets into data tracking uh, versus biohacking and gets into 
um, you know, using tools like intermittent fasting and, and also um, becoming metabolically flexible. So it, it, as you see it and as you've learned and researched and interviewed, what would you tell the listener, especially the exhausted, burnt out, not handling stress, crashing in the middle of the day, waking up with little energy, their immune system's dysregulated, their blood sugar's imbalanced, their immune all of the above. What, what does it mean to be metabolically flexible in lieu of what we've just talked about? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I guess one way to describe something or um, understand something is to describe its opposite. So metabolic inflexibility would be the inability to pivot between different major fuel sources in the body. Most people, uh, I mean, at any given time, all of us are burning both sugar and fat at any given time. I mean, it's just a matter of proportions. Alessandro Freddy, a mutual friend of, of ours, has kind of instilled that into my mind, right? So, you know, even if you're hardcore keto or you're fasting, look, you know, your red blood cells, the retina in your eye, certain neurons within the brain have to use glucose or obligate, you know, glucose metabolizing cells due to the maybe inability to get oxygen to those tissues or whatever, right? So the metabolically inflexible people are just like you said, Joel. Uh, and I think a good, a good proxy to gauge whether you're flexible or inflexible is if you get hangry or not. And, and everyone has probably heard of like being hangry. If you haven't, it means that you're angry and hungry at the same time. So this is very common where, you know, it's, it's three o'clock, four o'clock, people have maybe skipped lunch uh, where they had a candy bar and a muffin and a Diet Coke or whatever, you know, from the vending machine. And they're like irritated, they're jumpy, they're annoyed, they're edgy. Okay, that's hangry. And that is abnormal because what's going on is you overshot. So you had a bunch of glucose or you're, you're borderline insulin resistant to begin with. So guess what? Your pancreas released insulin that enabled glucose to go out of the bloodstream into cells and maybe the glucose dip to a certain to below where it should be so then the adrenal glands are being triggered to say hey norepinephrine hey cortisol hey adrenaline we got to get glucose out of the cells we don't have enough and then so we have this what we call counter regulatory hormone surge and that creates the agitation the anxiety the, the irritation the symptoms of hangriness so if you're able to go without food for say six eight hours like on a fast or a time-restricted feed and you're not hangry that means that you've seamlessly pivoted from a predominant glucose you know, phenotype to, well, you're burning more ketones and fatty acids. And so that's a good proxy for certain people to gauge. Now, of course, you can run labs, a higher level of triglycerides, high liver enzymes, high uh, cholesterol, low HDL. That would suggest that there's a lot of like sugar being converted to fat, what we call lipogenesis or the formation of fat from manure. So that would be suggestive of the fact that maybe your body is using too much sugar for fuel. But if you have low triglycerides, low fasting glucose, low hemoglobin A1C, those are other biomarkers that would suggest that, hey, your body's handling fats pretty well, handling sugar metabolism pretty well. You're probably able to pivot back and forth. And so that's kind of what we're looking for. What we see in all these diseases, what you mentioned autoimmunity, particularly inflammatory diseases. This is a tip that a lot of people don't realize. And why, you know, one thing that I like to encourage people to understand is your immune system, not only does it stir up the pot and create inflammation, but those cytokines, those are the little messages of the inflammatory response. They also antagonize insulin. Like TNF-alpha, which is the kind of the, the, the typical, it's like a four-wheel drive truck. Like it's just like the standard off the lot, TNF-alpha inflammatory signaling cytokine. 
it used to be termed cachectin because it caused muscle wasting and it caused insulin resistance because insulin is very anabolic. So this, when this hormone or cytokine was around, it, you know, back in the 1950s, they called it cachectin because they saw it was linked with wasting. So anyone that has insulin resistance, they're m most likely, I mean, sorry, anyone that has inflammation or autoimmunity, they're most likely going to be metabolically inflexible because those messages, this could be mold, this could be Lyme co-infections, this could be Hashimoto's, MS, adrenal fatigue, is linked with insulin resistance by virtue of the fact that those cytokines antagonize insulin's message. And that was another key point in the book, belly fat effect that I tried to tease out because you know, when doctors see fasting glucose, even well-intentioned doctors, they think, oh, you need chromium. You need vanadium, you need fenugreek, you need, you know, uh, cinnamon, all these classic agents in the natural world that are linked to affecting insulin and glucose dynamics, if you will. But as a sales rep, I was like, well, actually, you need to dig a little bit deeper. It could be underlying inflammation in this patient and the fenugreek and the chromium and all that. It's not addressing the root cause. That's like green medicine. That's, that's just like applying the all allopathic paradigm to natural remedies. I'm like, that's, that's allopathic medicine got into the bad place that it is because of that mindset. Like we got to address the root cause. So anyway, anyone with inflammation, autoimmunity, you also got to just it part and parcel with that. Those conditions is metabolic inflexibility. So you got to work on both sides at the same time. Yeah, awesome stuff. So, so a couple of things that come to my mind is number one, how we have to have a huge reform on the way that allopathic and even alternative medicine assesses glucose, right? Because you can go to the doctor and be on an eight, nine, 10 hour, 12 hour fast and your, your glucose will be controlled or in the very wide range of 65 to 99, um, but yet you're still uh, having a secondary immune uh, cytokine, TNF alpha, uh, chem chemical messenger releasing impact on, on insulin. Um, and, and I think that there needs to be reforms in there in terms of obviously looking at fasting insulin, um, but then taking matters into your own hand and using your own glucose meter and, and understanding that. But here's the question I have for you. So I make it really uh, a primary motive when I work with and coach with clients, Mike, to um, understand that, that difference between physiological hunger and psychological craving. And, and I remember Alessandro talking because I have, a, you know, an exercise physiology degree and, and them talking about small meals more frequently. And we got to start to ask that question. Does that really benefit us if even though it may not necessarily be dipping into a low value, it's always chronically high? Not on, notwithstanding the immune problems and everything else that can induce insulin problems as well. So I guess the question I have for you is, in that interim when someone is not metabolically flexible and they are hangry and their blood glucose is always elevated because of not just of the small meals more frequently and maybe they're not controlling their carbs or they're gluconeogenic because they're eating too much protein. Also, they have these major infections. Um, they get hangry when they're still in the hundreds, right? Because mm -hmm. the, that's the lowest, that's the most north that they've ever gone, you know? And, and the, so they think that they're going to die and they're going to faint and they're going to crash because they haven't eaten in two hours, which you've just mentioned is not metabolically flexible. 
So how have you seen that transition for people to be able to get down below 90, below 80, below 70, but yet be flexible enough to have that ketone level kick in so they're still providing fuel to their cells. I guess the question is, how do you get the ones in between to be able to get over that tough period? Yeah, that's such a great point. And I, I think it, it does make sense. So, so interestingly, if you look at the history of this recommendation that people should have, four or five small meals throughout the day, maybe six meals and so forth, snacks, that actually comes from research in diabetics. And so if you want to think about the, you know, if you have autoimmunity, you have Lyme, you have chronic infections, you have adrenal issues and so forth, and that's the cause of your insulin resistance, it's almost like you're pre-diabetic, but you're a different subtype of pre-diabetic. So you got to kind of look at it like that perspective. So I'm all for just doing what works for the person. In an ideal world, we should probably move away from the multiple small meals throughout the day. But we're, we're, we don't live in an ideal environment, as everyone knows, right? Um, so, so what I would suggest is based upon the research in diabetics and, and having these small little frequent meals instead of like two big bolus meals does seem to have a better effect on blood sugar handling and, and utilization. So I, I think that's good. Like my approach would be a low-carb paleo type approach so again, the, the meals are low in processed carbohydrates, grain-free, gluten-free, things like that, good sources of protein, good sources of whole food fat, and so forth. But what I, the emphasis that I would want people to focus on is after the meals, make sure you get out and get some exercise. And so what, what that means is even if you live in a or work in an uh, office building, you can go take a brisk walk around the building. So that what the thing is, is what I found in the functional medicine world is sometimes exercise is not really talked about enough. And not that you have to be a bodybuilder or a powerlifter, not that there's anything wrong with that either, but just exercise, particularly in the post-meal window, really helps to affect your blood sugar levels. And if anyone's interested, over the summer, I did a vlog style video. It was very controversial. I went to a vegan restaurant. Just I said, hey, set, order me whatever the, the most popular things on the menu are. And we, and we went, there's like this vegan restaurant is near this vegan ice cream place. It's a very popular date night sequence for vegan people in Seattle. You go to the vegan restaurant, you get a vegan ice cream. It's all plant-based. It's all healthy. But what I found is that totally skyrocketed my blood sugar. And later in the night, my glucose was like 158 was the highest. We're talking milligrams per DL. And so that was the highest I've ever seen since tracking since 2011. So I was so nervous. I'm like, I can't go to bed with this high glucose. You know, I know it's just one night. So I went and took a brisk walk around my neighborhood. It's a walk my wife and my daughter and our dogs do all the time. It brought my glucose down to like 89. And I was like, holy crap, that's a 60 point swing in just 10 minutes of walking. And so you can kind of, whether you have inflammation induced insulin resistance or just garden variety insulin resistance, because you've been eating crap and you haven't been exercising, it doesn't matter. Exercise is inherently anti-inflammatory, which is great. You're outside, hopefully. So you're in training your circadian rhythms and that you're causing that necessitation to pull glucose from the bloodstream to use and fuel working muscles. So you're causing uh, increasing your your the needle or the pendulum towards more metabolic flexibility, which is what we're striving for. So that's what I would suggest to people. And if you don't have 10 minutes, then run up and down the stairs two times. You're not going to get dripping sweat. You're not going to have to take a shower. Just these short you know, stints of exercise sprinkled throughout the day is just a wonderful way to make sure that your uh, blood sugar metabolism and fat burning machinery are being tuned up. Awesome. Awesome answer. And I would agree with that as well in terms of with Alessandro talking about, 
you know, our life load and how we perceive our life load is a big one. Um, obviously, the quantity, the quality, the timing of your food, um, but movement, right? I mean, not so much are you going to the gym? Are you going to get a gold medal? Are you training seven days a week? We're just talking about steps and movement in general, specifically time for when you eat and we understand the physiology of, of, of receptor sensitivity and movement and activity, that that's a wonderful thing. Would you also say as well, because I'm of the same uh, belief in terms of uh, making the diet flexible for your specific lifestyle and your specific uh, schedule and travel and everything else. But I, I say the same thing, uh, controlling the, the, um, the, the refined sugars and, and depending on the, on the grains and, and making sure you're getting good quality grass-fed proteins um, and making sure good healthy quality fats. But with that being said, I believe that we're a nation of just over-proteinized, I guess, in terms of we just eat way too much protein and not to mention the bacteria in there, the decreased stomach acids, the fermentation, the permeability, the overloading the liver, the bile backup and everything else in between. Um, but would you also put in there the, the, um, the 08 to 1.2 kilograms per pound of body, uh, per, or sorry, grams per kilogram of weight and, and being uh, pretty rigid on that. What's your take on protein absolute amounts in that, in that sort of outline that you just described to us, Mike? Yeah, that's a really great question, you know, and something that I think is really uh, kind of controversial right now. But what I would say, uh, I don't know if anyone has the answer for this, but I think it comes to just common wisdom. The more active you are, the more lean muscle mass you, you have, the more protein you'll need. And so I think that I see a lot of sedentary, overweight people on Instagram going to Wendy's, taking the bun off and having like six or seven burgers. Well, I mean, look, I'm 190 pounds. I can deadlift close to 400 pounds. I wouldn't even have six burgers. I mean, not that I would ever eat at Wendy's, but I'm, that is too much. I mean, you know, especially someone that's trying to lose weight and that doesn't have much muscle. And so I found this article is a USDA proceedings. I posted on my Instagram if people want to check it out, metabolic underscore Mike on Instagram. Uh, it was nutrition advice and uh, from 1889. And it was this, this nutritionist back then, and he surveyed a bunch of people in, um, in, in Europe and then a bunch of folks over in like Connecticut and New York. And he, he broke, he looked at their diets and he looked at how much physical activity they had. And then if they were cold or if they had enough energy and all that. And guess what? He, he posted based upon if you're a laborist, a mechanic, if you're out there, you know, nailing uh, nails and building roadways and uh, train ways and stuff, you need about a, a half a pound of meat per day. But if you're a sedentary, a typist, and I can't remember what else, a homemaker, I can't remember whatever the categories are, um, you, you need a, under a quarter pound of meat per day, right? So he was just like, it, it was this beautiful chart that laid it out so eloquently. And I think it's just common sense. Like we, we hear, we see this one study and they, they you know, standardize the protein to X number of kilograms per body weight or whatever. And that's fine. It probably works, you know, in athletic people, but people just seem to use common sense. I'm trying to lose weight. I'm, I don't have much muscle mass and I'm relatively sedentary. Okay. You don't need two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, right? You could probably do just fine with a little bit less. And so I think it's this customization based upon 
you know, your energy demands and, and so forth and how you feel, right? So likewise, you know, if there was a, a bodybuilder or a contractor, someone, a massage therapist was seeing eight, 10 clients a day, being vegan, probably not a good idea, right? Because, you know, you're not going to get enough essential amino acids from quinoa and so forth to really kind of fuel and keep you vibrant for, for that, you know, a hard laborious day. So it just, I think there's a lot of customization out there. People don't generally want to customize. They see a guru say, oh, they eat carnivore, they eat vegan, so I'm just going to do that. And, you know, and I, I think that's where people get into trouble. You know, I listen sometimes to not change the topic too much, but Dave Ramsey talks about finance. People call in and say, I'm $200,000 in debt. What do I do? He goes, well, what's your monthly income? What's your overhead? How many kids do you have? You know, what's your house worth? Like he's personalizing someone's budget based upon their income. And, and you know, and we don't do that with health. We, you know, we just think, oh, well, they did it, so I do that. But in no other industry, in law, in finance, in construction, do you just apply this, this you know, one-size-fits-all approach? But for some reason, we get trapped into doing that with health. And I don't know where that comes from. I think it comes from the fact that you have to listen to your doctor, right? Like they do as the doctor says. And so people just listen and then they don't think that they can customize things, but you really should be doing that. You know, and it, I'll tell you where I think it comes from uh, because this is my working theory. So as, as I mentioned earlier, I've been a Ben Lynch nerd where I would drop my kids up and down the state for soccer and I would listen to the recording over and over and over again and I'd learn the pathways. And I really came up with the, the main idea that 80, up to 80% of SAMe production goes towards repairing cell membrane and repairing muscle, right? And, and it's that important. In fact, if you took away the cell membrane and you took away the mitochondria, the cell wouldn't thrive with no, with no membrane. And that membrane is so that we can bind nutrients or neurotransmitters or hormones or vitamins and minerals to convey a message to can keep epigenetic control of the environment. If we don't have that relay station or that speaker system telling the cell what's going on in the environment, then we lose communication. And you mentioned early on the word coherence. Um, and you also mentioned when um, with the doctors, hey, why didn't I know about this with these gut hormones and this precedes um, insulin resistance? Um, it's loss of communication, not just at the mitochondrial level, at the, at the cell. So I look at it like this. It's you have frequency first. If you don't have good positive thoughts and, 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 and gratitudes and celebrations and, and all of the above, that's above the cellular level. Then you have the cellular level. Then you have the tissue level. Then you have the, um, the organ level. And then you have the system level again. And outside downstream of the system level is the frequency once again. And there's loss of coherence between the upstream frequency and the downstream frequency. And I guess what that means is, is that um, in no other industry, like you mentioned, besides healthcare, has the communication gone so awry, right? In terms of we're not, we're not, we're not listening. We, we're, we're not putting in messages. The chimney stack is closed to the cellular, you know, exudites getting outside of the cell and any oxygen or, or air or ATP production getting into the cell and the whole system breaks down. And the more I learn and test, people will call me, oh, I have COMT or I'm CBS or I'm this and I'm that and the other. The more I realize it all comes down to stress, right? And it all comes down to communication and basics. 
how do you feel about that working uh, diagnose or that working theory that I've come up with? That's awesome. I'll have to sit and chew on that for a while, but it does make sense, right? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Bruce Lipton, I think, uh, gosh, what he wrote, uh, The Biology of Belief, but then a follow-up book, and I'm forgetting the name of that, but he, it's all about the cell membrane and how, you know, thoughts and so forth are kind of transmuted through our body by way of the cell membrane, you know, so there's interesting research about that. So it does make sense, Joel. I like it. Yeah. So, okay. So here's where I want to switch on you a little bit. Cause I told you that we're with the people I work with, we're putting together the, like you said, the customizable, you know, making it. So what's good for them is not necessarily good for someone else, but you know, so we want to look at their glucose. We want to look at their ketones. We want to look at their heart rate variability. We want to look at their macros and not being too neurotic, right? Cause that could make us more stressed than we're, you know, than we are to begin with. But you've been doing it for quite some time, and, and I'm, I'm relatively new in the world. What have you found to be some of the key movers for you in terms of readiness or recovery or, or um, just uh, parasympathetic activity or lack of inflammation or, or metabolically flex, metabolic Mike? What has metabolic Mike found into being his key variables? Mm, that's a great point. Yeah. So I do check heart rate variability first thing in the morning, but I think it, it all comes down to deep sleep. Um, you know, I found like, like last night today, I'm functioning pretty well, cognitively, energetically, all that, uh, because I went to bed earlier than, than, you know, I went to bed, I think nine thirty something like that. So trying to get to bed before 10, I think can really make sweeping changes. And of course you want to make sure that you're getting good deep sleep. So what I do is, you know, we have a sliding glass door in our master bedroom. I leave that cracked open. So I'm getting a lot of fresh air. And it really, this time of year in Seattle at evening or in the evening, it's around 30 degrees. So it's pretty cool. That cool temperature really fosters a good restorative sleep. Uh, I do mouth taping. So that's another thing that can really foster proper breathing while you're sleeping. And that can affect the whole HPA axis like we've been talking about. So so that, and then first thing in the morning, I, I use the aura ring for tracking my sleep and heart rate variability, but I also have the elite HRV core sensor, which is a small little finger probe that tracks your HRV. So that kind of helps me gauge, you know, the intensity of my workout should, later in the day. Should I train? Should I not? Should I rest, et cetera? Um, and then really, you know, playing around with feeding windows. And I found that like for most people, they can do pretty good on the two meal a day type approach, you know, especially if it's low carb, if it's keto, that can help you to restore that flexibility. Now, if you have this underlying inflammation and all these things, maybe you do the three day and maybe a protein shake in there if you're really active, but trying to make sure that we're not overdoing it. And, and I found that eating earlier and like a lot of people fast all day and they wait until two to have lunch and then have dinner late. You know what I've found, and there's research, a lot of research in the circadian biology world to support this at eating earlier in the day and then cutting off the feeding window earlier. And in, in the, I said this in the athletic world a million times, you know, uh, on different podcasts, you know, different people will say the key to my success was eating early and sleeping early, right? And so in the athletic world, a lot of athletes, they don't wait to, till the end of the day to eat. They want to eat early and then cut it off, right? So that they're, you know, then going into fat burning mode and, and not having a lot of stuff in their gut while they're sleeping. So that, those are some of the things that I would suggest, you know, and just making sure that you're off the devices and screens before bed, because as we know, those would screw things up. Um, 
a lot of us have fluorescent lights, you know, the compact fluorescent LED lights and so forth because they were hot. We got away from incandescent light bulbs. Now we're, people are moving back towards that. So trying to get that bright blue light out of your house, not just from your screens, but the, but the lights above you, um, that can make a huge difference. So we've gone to these kind of old vintage incandescent lights and Good news now, Home Depot sells them. You used to have to go to these like hippy dippy kind of like uh, hipster stores, you know, that sold housing, you know, like, uh, I don't know, what do you call them? Uh, the type of lights, a pendant lights and all that. Like but now, lava, Home like Depot. A lava lamp, like a lava one too, right? Yeah, those <laughs> ones and the salt lamps. So you, there's right. a lot you can do now for sure, which is cool. Yeah. So, okay. So a couple, how do you find um, the accuracy of the, of the readiness uh, predictabilities? Do you find that when you, when you pay attention to them, they're, they're accurate or are there other times where you feel like you're ready to go, but that, that maybe your HRV tells you otherwise, are you calibrating physiologically what's going on um, with, with maybe mentally what's going on? Yeah, I think they, they, they're pretty in sync. I mean, there's, there's maybe been 10% of the time where I'm like, that's off or like, I feel like crap, but it says I should be good. So, but most of the time I'm like, yeah, that correlates pretty well with how I feel. And so I, I again, I, I don't let the technology and the, and the biofeedback devices control everything, but it, it's just a piece in the puzzle, you know, that I, that I use for sure. Yeah. And I think it's good because that brings that awareness up when it's not there. Right. right. In terms of your, that's the communication error. And that's the same thing with the circadian rhythms, right? These chickens that know enough to go to bed and they're not rocket scientists, but yet we are not listening to the, the messages from the earth either. And, and we don't, we've lost that connection and that communication and that coherence as well. So awesome stuff, Mike. I appreciate all your insights. Um, yeah. As far as I always ask my guests, I got this from Dr. Lynch on his latest um, uh, on his latest Dirty Gene Summit. So um, in terms of if you would have known uh, what you know now, say many years ago, and the role that all of the variables play on your stress response and may have caused a breakdown of that stress response, and now you know what you know now, what would you, what would you, tell, what would you have done differently knowing the, the, how the stress response is, is impacted and how it cannot be fixed and lead to an adrenal problem? What would you tell yourself now? Yeah, that's a really great question. And it would definitely be um, getting off devices and screens and stuff before bed. So I, you know, I used to have my alarm clock was my phone. It still is, but it's in the other room so I can hear it. Um, but I, you know, when phones, especially the iPhone started coming out in like 07, I think it was, or 08, um, we we're all excited about this device and we had it in our pocket with us at all times. We're always on our devices. And, and I remember so many sleepless nights, I'm lying in bed and I, can't go to bed. So I'm like, oh, I'll just get on my phone and scroll around or whatever. And you lose two, three hours of sleep. You wake up feeling exhausted. That creates its own set of issues. So yeah, I just would have like not done that. Right. And then even before that being on AOL and some messenger or being on the internet, you know, I was into bike racing. So I'd always check scores and news and stuff till like one in the morning. So I just would have prioritized sleep a little bit better. So I feel like I'm even now, you know, at 36, like kind of making up for that, making up for that lost time. So um, really try to, when I can take a nap, like really be diligent about going to bed earlier because you know, none of us are getting any younger, right? We're, we're aging and we just want to age gracefully, right? We're not trying to stop it or slow it down per se, but we don't want to you know, accelerate the process. 
Yeah, it's an awesome point. It's a tsunami epidemic, in my opinion, with the kids these days. It's really scary to think about just how it's attached to their hip. And they have that Pavlovian, uh, uh, I guess, a conditioning. As soon as an alert goes off, they go off. And it's really scary in that way. Mike, when we had a, a hurricane several years ago, our power went off. And, and I couldn't believe how much better I was sleeping. You know, it was, oh my goodness. And we took, I, I, at that time, we had the Wi-Fi router in our room. We took it out of the room and it was just amazing the difference. And the things that are invisible, just because you can't see it with the naked eye doesn't mean it's not impacting you. You know, it definitely is. So those are really great words of advice. Um, as far as if I'm a listener and I want to learn a little bit more about you, um, where do you mentioned your Instagram account? Mention that again. And where else do I find about your 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 YouTube channel and your podcast and all those good things? Yeah, great question. And you know, it's funny. So over the weekend, we had a windstorm here in Seattle, and and the power went out, and we slept so good for two days. Like it was like it was inconvenient to not have power for sure. But we were in right. bed at like eight twenty. Uh, and, and there was like the deepest sleep that I've ever had on my aura ring in two and a half years. And so oh, wow. I, I don't know. Is it a coincidence? Is it just happenstance? I think there's a little bit more to it, to this electricity and the Wi-Fi. So not only in our homes, but our neighbor's homes. So I, I'm definitely playing around with turning off the circuits at night and doing all that sort of thing. Uh, and I think people should definitely at a minimum turn off that Wi-Fi. We've been doing that for a couple of years now, but that's a, a bare minimum thing to do. But yeah, if anyone wants to you know, connect, I have a I'm pretty active over on YouTube. So just uh, Mike Mutzel or High Intensity Health is the channel URL. And then over in Instagram, pretty active there as well. Uh, metabolic underscore Mike. And, and like you, Joel, I do have a Facebook page. It's just Mike Mutzel MS. So if folks want to connect there, would love that. You can send me a message, say that, you know, we saw each other on Dr. Joel's program and, and uh, yeah, love to link up with you. Yeah, awesome. And then as a parting gift, I do this with guests that I'm super stoked to interview. I tried to get metabolicmike.com, but metabolicmike.com is by has some origami dude um, with metabolic mic. So I got metabolicmike.net. And I'm going to just transfer it over to you. Um, you could, you know, it's just nice to have. I know you have that moniker at some point or sometime. I get some emails. So it's metabolicmike.net. And, uh, and I'd be really happy to just give it over to you so that you can have that as maybe a, a, a landing page or something like that. But oh, I man, think that that's would awesome. Yeah. Thanks, dude. That so, means a lot. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. So listen, I appreciate what you do. Um, we got lots in common. You really are um, uh, someone I look up to in terms of all, all the prolificness of, of what you do and how you practice what you preach and how at the end of the day, it comes from a good place of integrity and from your heart to want to help other people. Um, and that's a rare thing these, these day and age. So I want to, want to thank you so much for being here and I wish you the, the healthy, happy, uh, wonderful 2019 for you and your family. Thanks buddy. It means a lot. Have a great day, everyone. Take care. Thanks for tuning into today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our Adrenal Awakening program, here's what to do next. Head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? Number two, what are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, 
What are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism, and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen, and we'll talk to you soon.